Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commonwealth Sela podcast. Today is a little bit different than our normal episodes. Um, we are uh, super blessed to have Foy Bellier with us. I'm going to do a little interview with him about an important topic that I've been thinking about a lot and he is an expert on, or at least uh, um, has a lot of wisdom on. So just super excited uh, for you all to listen in on this. Uh, this is something that that isn't just something I'm interested in, but I think something that our community really needs to hear, which is why I asked Foy to join me for this. So a little bit about Foy. He is a leadership coach and a spiritual father of many over the years. He is in positions of leadership for multiple missional organizations, including Missio, uh, New England and Creo Collective. Uh, Creo is something that we at Commonwealth are really engaged in, and that's how we know Foy. Uh, Foy is an ordained priest in the Anglican Church and the abbot alongside his wife Maria for Annam Cara Abbey, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, so hello, Foy. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Charlie. Thanks for having me. I think I'm supposed to tell you all a little bit about Annam Cara. So that's a digital abbey uh, that my wife and I started three years ago coming out of COVID for people all across the country to come and join and become uh, trained to be practitioners. So um, I don't know how familiar the listener will be with the difference between the church and the monastery and the abbey. So give me a quick minute to talk about that. The church was kind of the locus of worship. It was a place where people went for the, the high holy days and the uh, regular worship services. The monastery was a place where the really spiritual people went uh, and came apart to serve God many uh, in many occasions in the deep work of prayer. So that's how they advanced mission by devoting themselves to prayer. The Abbey, uh, conversely, was a, a missionary way station. It was a place where folks could come and receive training, uh, encouragement. They would spend time with an abbot or an abbess uh, to uh, sharpen their hearing, the voice of God, a place where they could get spiritual direction, uh, maybe fill in some gaps with some spiritual formation and other things uh, that are necessary to follow Jesus and in intimacy. Uh, as a spiritual sojourner and pilgrim here on earth. Um, the monastery was long-term. The abbey was a short-term association. Mm -hmm. uh, so they would come and then they would go out. Um, but like the monastery, a network, a family would emerge where people would become part of an order uh, that would find its, uh, its uh, chapter home, for lack of a better word, in the abbey itself so we've had the privilege of really watching this unfold this ancient paradigm and practice unfold in the 21st century uh in the virtual space so we've had a lot of people cycle through um i think some for some it was a novelty and they needed the, just a little quick sip of refreshment and they were on their way to do the things god called them to do and then there were, of course, uh, a number of others who uh, were intrigued with our way of life and wanted to be part of our covenant community. So we really, really enjoy that. That is my church uh, in some ways, the, the closest uh, 
community of practitioners I labor with, um, but they're dispersed across the country. So that's mm-hmm. been cool. Wow, that's cool. I, I appreciate you explaining the differences between those three things because I could not have told you what the difference was. And I love that that concept of it being this kind of missional way station as, as people are coming through on a journey. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. So we're going to focus in on this, this term, Anamkara. Um, and if you could, why don't you give us a, a, a little definition of that term, as well as some of the origins of it. And spoiler, I'm going to ask you why it's important to you. So if you can weave that mm-hmm. in <laughs> to here, uh, that would be great. So what is Anamkara? Perfect. So it's a it's a Gaelic phrase, and for those of you who don't know what uh, Gaelic is, it's the it's the ancient language of Ireland. So the Celtic uh, pioneers of Christianity in Ireland and their successors used this phrase to describe a relationship that one would have with a soul friend. So that's S O U L soul, not like your only friend. Um, a soul friend is uh, a, a deep bonded relationship that cultivates transparency, uh, mutuality, and deep heart sharing. Um, originally, it was used uh, by uh, Patrick and uh, many of the other uh, Celtic saints uh, to describe the language between someone's spiritual director and themselves. Uh, because of the nature of the shared journey and shared disclosure. Um, Over time, it has devolved into more of a Hollywood perspective where people talk about uh, their Anamkara being the one. So kind of like this mystical romantic uh, relationship that one has to uh, suss out in everyday life, like sifting through a haystack looking for the needle, the one. Um, and in many ways, that's a, a, a real distortion of the principle itself. Um, the modern usage of looking for the one or describing your romantic relationship as an anamkara really is substituting a temporal connection to your eternal one. So if we track this thing all the way back, we're designed for heart relationship with our creator. Um, and that is an amazing thing to stop and think about that uh, not only is God our creator and redeemer uh, and king, but he also desires to be our friend, our Anam Kara, the one we share the deepest recesses of our heart and life and spirit with. And he knows those things already, but he invites us into union and communion with him. So that's kind of the, the biblical origin of that. And I love there are numerous examples in the scripture on the temporal side of what an Anamkara relationship looks like. I think our our listeners probably would be most familiar with David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan were Anamkaras. Uh, they, their friendship not only has stood the test of time in the literature, but really many people look to that to provide a prototype for same gender connection that's deep and transformational uh, and loyal and moves forward over the course of uh, one's life. So um, 
Yeah, that's a kind of a a brief uh, excursus there into where the term comes from, its biblical groundings, and some of its misuse today. So I think I was supposed to tell you a little bit about my own experience with Anamkara. So let me share that with you. Um, I came across the books of John O'Donohue a number of years ago before I launched the Abbey. And he has a book called Anamkara, and in it he he speaks to the longings, the, the the longings of every human heart for real friendship, real genuine union with another human being. Um, and some of that I, we look to the deity for, as we should. And some of that we necessarily look to uh, those of us who are married, our spouse, as they they know us most intimately than anyone and they become our best friend over time if you have a healthy marriage but my own experience beyond both of those things uh really uh, came about when i about 10 years ago entered into a friendship with a pastoral colleague in upstate new york and over time as we shared our hearts and as we shared our lives and as we shared our pain and struggle um, deaths of spouses, children that had gone uh, waywardly, uh, churches that had disappointed us, our own personal failures and shortcomings. Uh, our hearts were just cemented together. And we would, our week was incomplete if we didn't spend first person FaceTime with one another at least once. And after I left New York to move to South Florida, those connections continued by phone. Um, and because both of us have a care, a love for the Holy Spirit, um, some of it took on a real, almost mystical, uh, aspect, I would say, in the sense that we would listen to God together and share what we heard him saying, and we'd encourage one another with what we heard. Um, and then we would just pray for one another. We just pour our hearts out, uh, for one another, uh, as well. And those are some of the sweetest times with Jesus that I've ever encountered with this one specific brother in my 40 years, 40 plus years of walking as a Christian. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I can really resonate with that. And this is, I've shared this with you, Foy, but something that I'm just uh, starting to explore more, you know, I, in college, I lived with three guys for three years we lived in a house together and uh those relationships were so strong and so deep i mean we did life together we shared meals together we encouraged one another we fought we you know all these things it's it's like brothers uh but we're choosing you know to live together uh year after year and you know, out, out of college, I, I got married and to my beautiful and amazing wife, Nicole. And I thought for a while that that marriage would kind of replace those friendships. And there are certainly things I tell Nicole all the time. She's the best roommate I've ever had. She's way better than them in so many ways. And and uh, and we have a great, you know, healthy, growing marriage. Uh, but one thing I've realized in these in these recent years as we've moved around and, and gone through transition is, you know, there are certain elements of those friendships that I miss and I can't put it all on my spouse to 
fulfill some of those things and she can't fulfill some of those things. I, I don't believe. And so I've been on this journey now of seeking out what does it look like to have deep friendships now that I am married and I have two children and, you know, life is very different than it was in college. And so I think, I think one thing that's important for people listening, you know, we have, we have uh, singles in our church community. We have people that have been married a long time. And I think one thing we all have in common is most of us do not have deep friendships. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what, where do we go if we are saying, you know, I've, I've, I, it's been so long or maybe never have I had a deep friendship, like the one that you're describing, where do we begin? Yeah. What a great question, Charlie. So, and it segues perfectly from my previous, uh, disclosure. I really decided I wanted to be a friend with God and I needed to develop that relationship first. So all of the, the great uh, followers of Jesus across the continuum of the last two millennia really understood that developing the inner life and encounter of union with Christ is the basis from which all other relationships flow, either in a healthy way or a dysfunctional way. So I recognized that I wanted to become God's friend robustly and what that I didn't have any idea what that looked like. <clears throat> and then I wanted other people to join me in that journey. So that's where the Abbey kind of came together. Um, so I just said, does anybody else want to learn to be a friend of God with me? Cause I'm on this journey. Um, and I, it was a vulnerable moment. I didn't know if anybody would want to, uh, but there's a deep hunger for relationship with the divine and with one another. We know that to be the case. I mean, even the Surgeon General recently has said that loneliness is a the, the new national pandemic. Um, the statistics are unbelievable that most men uh, historically and now most women don't have one person that they would call a friend. Forget about an anim care. They don't even have a friend. So what we have done in the Abbey is an outgrowth of my own encounter with God and how does one develop one of these relationships? Uh, I think, number one, you've got to choose to be available to another human being. And that's a that's the huge first step. It's easier to live an alienated and isolated existence to minimize pain, distraction, upheaval, disruption. You've got to intentionally choose with an act of your volition to enter into relationship with another human being. And that's what God does for us, right? So we're just doing what God's done for us. Choose to be with another human being. And then you've got to develop the relationship, which requires time and attention uh, and investment uh, over the long term. So choosing to be connected, developing a friendship, and then in the midst of the friendship, when one feels safe, you need to begin to share the deep needs the deep fears the deep failures with someone who you know will persevere with loyalty uh through that circumstance with you without trying to fix you correct you disclose to others what you've shared with them and these kinds of friendships are just great treasures given by god that are transformational they're transformational sometimes they only last for a season you know, I was sharing with you, Charlie, that that brother and I uh, 
he has moved on to other ministry function and is developing other people in his orbit. So our NM Kara a connection while it remains is not as regular. So the Lord's called me into a new season and I have done this historically, but I've got to tell you every time I share my heart with somebody else, I have a profound moment of anxiety where people will say, Oh, he's not who he appears to be, or he does not have it all figured out, or he's not altogether. He's, or he struggles with that. Um, Anytime one discloses those deep things of one's heart, you are giving people permission to repudiate and reject or to transformationally embrace you. So there is risk involved in developing these Anamkara pathways, um, but it's worth the risk. It's worth taking the chance. I would personally say, and you and I haven't talked about this, I don't think we can be authentically human to the degree that we're called to be without an Anam Kara relationship with God and with another same gender human being who's on the journey with us. We're designed for it. We desire it. Uh, it motivates us uh, sometimes unconsciously and other times consciously as we're looking uh, for that relationship as we navigate the the difficulties and the challenges and the blessings of life. And uh, if we don't find that relationship, then sometimes we can act out inappropriately and look for lesser things, as C.S. Lewis uh, once said. So that's kind of my long answer to your question, Charlie. That's great. I love that. And I, I mean, it is such a risky thing. And I think that's probably why so many of us lack real deep friendships it's because it's scary and things can go wrong. I would be interested to hear from you what uh, what happens when this relationship goes wrong, because, you know, anytime you're get your Anam Kara is we, we should be in. I love how you talked about friendship with God. I don't think most of us think about god in that way we might think of god as father um but god as friend is is a is such a new uh idea for many but when we're befriending humans uh, humans are imperfect and we are imperfect and so those things will will go wrong what happens when an anam care relationship goes goes sour or goes bad yeah um it's it's really hard it's really hard um i've only been married once my wife and i are uh, married 30 years this coming year um but i haven't cared for people uh, from a clergy vantage point for numerous decades when one loses one spouse or is divorced from one spouse um there's deep pain deep and abiding pain that flows out of that um when we lose a childhood friend um when we lose a child i mean all of these different traumatic experiences give insight to the listener about and hopefully not to the, to the degree that they won't want to engage in one of these relationships right i mean talk about risky um when that relationship changes um, or that season concludes, it 
there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of grief. It it feels like, uh, and again, I'm just going to speak from my own perspective here because that's what I know best. It feels like a part of oneself uh, is no longer integrated into the whole. Hmm. And that's a, that's a difficult place to be. Um, but Jesus calls us to continue to trust him in terms of being transparent with relationship, transparent with others and developing relationship with others in a deep and meaningful and transformational way, because I wouldn't trade those 10 years with that brother for anything, even though it's, it's no longer in the same space. We continue to be friends. We continue to love one another, but our lives have taken us different places. Um, I wouldn't trade what God gave me in that decade for anything. Um, but again, just to reiterate where this whole conversation started, to invite people into your inner space, into your heart space, is always risky. It's always uh, an invitation into the way of heartbreak, because sooner or later, whether it's in whenever the season concludes, whether it's death or uh, life moving you apart. Uh, you're going to have to grieve that. And if we look uh, again, just I love the David and Jonathan example, right? Um, David grieved profusely when Jonathan was killed. It was like a piece of him was no longer uh, in existence, temporally speaking. Um, and he had to navigate that and still trust God in the midst of it um, and still allow himself to be vulnerable um, and willing to, uh, trust other human beings. I, I think that was probably the, the beginnings of some of the poor decision-making that he made. I think mm -hmm. to have that deep soul friend connection where you give permission to someone say, to say to you, that is a bad idea. And you know, they love you and they're committed to you regardless. Um, that arrests a lot of unnecessary pain, failure, and foolishness um, that we might get ourselves into otherwise. So David really missed his Jonathan, you know, and I'm really missing my guy right now, to be honest. But I have another relationship that I think has Anam Kara potential. And I'm going to risk again, even though every time I share something with people that uh, is transparent or puts me in a bad light or however you want to say that it's like that oh crap moment like did I really just allow myself to look like a broken human being who needs other human beings rather than Superman it never ever goes away but that's not a reason not to do it gang <laughs> that's good that's good so uh, th th that's an interesting uh a question i i think i already asked like where do you start but but what do you look for in an anam Kara? you you right now are are kind of in in an in-between moment where you've you've had a long deep friendship that has has kind of come to an end or at least is shifting into a different season and now you're you're seeking out new friendships and i feel like i've been doing that recently what are you looking for in in a, in an anam kara or multiple anam karas 
uh, because I think many of the people listening would probably say, I don't have that. So, so how, how do you find that person? Well, the first thing you got to do is pray and ask God for revelation. Because it has to be revealed from heaven, whoever this individual is, for sure. That's where it begins. Uh, secondarily, I'm looking for somebody who's a man, you know. <laughs> um, it's got to be the same gender. So many people have shipwrecked their faith because they look for and someone in the opposite gender who maybe is in a spiritual hierarchy with them or place of service, that it goes off the rails. So we pray and ask God to reveal we look around, you know, who are the other guys around me currently? And who amongst them really loves God and is pursuing them, pursuing him passionately? That would be kind of my next stage of uh, examination. And then I think we've got to be realistic too, Charlie. Um, we're not going to be able to be ourselves with a mentor necessarily, uh, because we're always going to be feeling that pressure, I think, to perform or to please them uh, as a uh, a father, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. I know that a lot of the ancients look to their spiritual director uh, in that way, but oftentimes their spiritual director was also a peer, was also a fellow monastic or another priest, somebody maybe who had a few years on them, but was a peer. Uh, nor can it be somebody who's a project, you know, uh, I mean, I hate to even use that word, right? Somebody that we're bringing along, maybe who's fresh uh, into the kingdom of God. I think it's got to be somebody who you share life experience with, similar passions with, and it's kind of on a uh, dwelling similarly on a horizontal axis. So for me, that's somebody who's going to be somebody between 40 and 60, right? Uh, somebody who's a spiritual father, somebody who's pursuing God with great passion, somebody who's interested in being uh, a passionate and committed father and grandfather, a disciple maker, and somebody who isn't uh, who isn't afraid to actually be a human being. And sometimes that's difficult. And this is going to sound a little cheeky. Forgive me ahead of time. Uh, sometimes that's difficult to find in the church, to be honest, where we're constantly trying to convince everybody of how we're we're sorted out and squared away and everything's good with us. That's not the basis of relationship. Basi the basis of relationship is a mutual encounter with God in the midst of our brokenness so that we might receive healing and transformation and encourage each other in close community along the way. So I'm looking for somebody who, you know, having a military background, I like guys with rough edges, a little raw around, a little raw, you know, uh, people who aren't afraid to to tell the truth the way that it is, because that's the kind of person I want in my life. So that's who I'm looking for in my next Anum Cara. And I think the Lord's got a, highlighting a couple people. But there again, prayer is going to be part of this all the way through. You've got to guard your heart, the psalmist says, right? I'm not talking about just disclosing the deep things of your personhood with anyone who will listen. We're looking for a trusted companion along the way that we can spend our life developing deep friendship with God and one another. That's always the goal. Um, and that's the goal for me for the next season. One thing that I've found helpful, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this is this is something that was a big deal in my, you know, youth group upbringing during the, the, 
kind of purity uh, movement, but defining the relationship, right? You know, what, like, let's make sure we're both on the same page. And I've found that having those conversations with guys has been helpful, uh, particularly because so many of us have never experienced this. So what are we pursuing together? Um, I don't know. Would you say that that's something that needs to happen at some point in any deep friendship? This kind of mutual agreement that we're, we are, we are pursuing this together. You can't just, it doesn't just happen, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I'd agree. It doesn't just happen and you don't just drift into it. You've got to be intentional about it. So I think the reason why it's hard for a lot of uh, ex-military guys and women too, I'm sure, not my experience, but I've observed it, uh, to reintegrate into the civilian population after being in a in a combat theater is because there's a shared pursuit of a mutual objective, right? There's a catalytic experience that we're going through together that requires absolute commitment to each other's welfare. So in terms of an NM carer relationship, we're really, we're determining to do, to wage warfare against the forces of darkness that are trying to discourage and undermine and create dysfunction within our families, within our own inner person, within our faith communities. And we have to have a shared pursuit to keep our eyes on an objective, a goal. Uh, I would agree with that 100%. Great. One thing that the church and, you know, I've been in a lot of conversations like this recently, uh, the church often fails single people and a lot of single people feel like they don't have a place in particularly the American evangelical church, the Western church, uh, because it's so oriented around marriage and families and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and this creates this, this feeling of inadequacy or, or uh, incompleteness. Uh, if you are a single adult and you're trying to engage in the church community, uh, what would you say to singles who don't necessarily feel called to lifelong singlehood, uh, but long for marriage? And maybe they are looking at marriage as something that will will make them complete, will solve their problems, that sort of thing. I feel like this has a lot to say to people that are in that place. Yeah. Well, that's a heavy question. It's it's hitting me where I live. My daughter's 28 years old and single. And she's really struggling right now, Charlie. Uh, All of her friends are married. They're having children. Um, Many of them live near their families with kids that they've grown up with. Uh, And her career has taken her to a completely different part of the country. Um, She's questioning her faith. Um, Came up in the church and trying to reconcile, you know, the, from her perspective, the insincerity and hypocrisy of people who pretend to be okay, but aren't okay. And her wanting to be okay, knowing that she isn't okay and not having any real relationships outside of her work colleagues to find that kind of friendship. And, and I've been watching her struggle and I think it's more common than I realize for our, our single people who in this very mobile society in which we live 
where we're 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 working in different places and spaces because of our jobs and economic factors. I think what I would say to my daughter, I'm going to try to not be emotional when I say to say this. What I would say to my daughter and to any single person, male or female, is that you really have to develop your love relationship with the one who loves you, who sits enthroned in heaven. And you really need to pray and ask him not just to give you a spouse if you're longing for a spouse, and that's a healthy longing to have as long as you're not defining your identity by that longing, um, asking God for uh, a deep soul friendship for you so that you can pursue God's will for your lives together. And then, of course, engaging in authentic community wherever you can find it as you continue to pray for heaven's revelation about who that individual may or may not be going forward so that you may have and receive the desires of your heart, which is to be married and to have a family and to uh, move into that next stage of your, your life timeline and trajectory at the end of the day. And this is going to sound um, trite perhaps at the end of the day, we cannot look for in another human being what God himself can only provide. Mm. And mm. from that from that place of being loved, completely, fully, unchangeably loved, whether you're a good boy or a naughty girl, um, allowing that love to transform not just your perspective of God, but of yourself as one who is who has been made worthy of love and who's designed to live in love in a multifaceted expression of that same gender relationship, service in your community, family connections, whatever it may be, as we wait and pray and trust God to provide that individual around whom family could be shaped potentially. And then I think, and again, this is the other side. Um, the scripture says that God's designed human beings to be established in families. And we need, as those of us who are married, like you and I are, I've got a few years on you, <laughs> people who are married like we are, we need to look for the single people. We, le we need to look for the folks who need to be connected to a family if they're far from their family of origin. And we've got to be looking to meet their needs and care for their needs so that they can discover the full measure of their identity, capacity, and destiny. So a faith community has got to provide ways for which our single people who have so much to offer and so much to give to be vital parts of everything that we're doing, not hangers on in the midst of the nuclear family paradigm that unfortunately I think that we promulgate too often. That's great. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think, you know, we look at the life of Jesus and we see such deep relationships um, where he was just literally walking, but like walking through life with people. And I think he needed that, right? Like he needed that just as much as they needed him or may not just as much, but, um, you know, he demonstrated that this life can't be done alone by anyone. 
And uh, whether whether you're single or married, a lot of us are walking through life alone. Yeah. Um, and I think the, you know, I know you, the first thing that many married people would say is, is marriage does not fix your problems. Nope. Does not fix the loneliness. No. In some cases, unfortunately, it, it, it increases it for some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the family is a beautiful, amazing thing, but uh, there's so much value in singlehood as well. And the church has really failed to unlock uh, the beauty that's there. So I'm on that journey to figure it out as a married guy who, you know, I, I know singles, they might not take what I have to say as seriously because you know i'm saying it from the position of a married married man but um you know trying to learn that together so foy i don't know if you can see our our because we're cheap and we don't pay for zoom (laughs) they're gonna kick us off in two minutes man but i'm so grateful for you and uh we you know we were saying before this conversation we might have to do this more often so there's a lot of wisdom that you bring and and you are a blessing to our community. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Foy is a, is, is an advisor and a mentor, uh, to both me and Aaron. He is a, 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 a deep part of our community, even if you don't see him, uh, regularly, but we hope to see you more. Love to have you come, come, uh, up to Knoxville soon. I love Knoxville. It's one of my favorite towns in the U.S. And I just wanted to say, Charlie, that last thing that you said about Jesus needing community, that was right on. You didn't need to equivocate that at all, dude. If the Son of God needed community, the rest of us broken, wretched human beings need it also. Hmm. And I don't think that we spend enough time talking about the humanity of Jesus and the needs that he had. He needed community. He desired community. He cultivated a community, and he persevered in community through having to deal with a, a bunch of knuckle-draggers for who disappointed him for sure. That's right. Oh, man. Thank you, Foy. God bless you, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Charlie. It's great being with you today.